listening to The Nature Between Us. My name is Tessa and I'm your host. This podcast is produced on the land of the Bidjigal and Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I acknowledge they are the traditional owners and pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. So today's episode tackles a topic that we all engage in whether we like it or not, fashion. Unless you're a nudist, you are partaking in the buying, wearing and disposing of clothing. But what are the environmental and human impacts of this? And as much as marketing loves to sell it, can it ever be truly sustainable? To answer these questions, I sat down with my good friend and sustainable supply chain expert, Kelly Elkin. Having previously co-founded the online store Well-Made Clothes, as well as the Australian Ethical Fashion Association, Clean Cut, Kelly has been on the forefront of sustainable fashion in Australia for decades, helping both emerging and established brands build strategies driven by social and environmental impact. Currently, she's focusing her efforts on implementing emerging technology and sustainability measures at the long-running surf label Piping Hot. In this episode, we get chatting about the environmental and human cost of the fashion industry, the pros and cons of natural materials, the synthetic takeover, transparent supply chains and the possibility of a circular economy, and the most sustainable way to stay cute whilst not being naked. Enjoy. So the fashion industry is the third most polluting industry in the world, which seems fucking crazy considering the aviation industry, the big agriculture industry. Can you briefly tell us how is this possible? What is causing all this pollution in the fashion industry? Yeah, I mean, look, it's pretty surprising, um, I think, for a lot of people when they do learn actually how polluting the fashion industry is. I think it's because most people are not used to the, you know, they're used to the end product. Um, and don't understand the full supply chain. So basically why the fashion industry is a big polluter is because it's quite resource intensive and the process is quite complex. So for example, an estimated 17 to 20% of total industrial water pollution is due to textile dyeing and fabric production. So just from that perspective, you know, that's a lot of wastewater that we're producing um, in terms of colouring our jeans and processing, you know, cotton fibres into a fabric. And then to turn those, you know, talking about dyes and stuff like that, we use about 8,000 synthetic chemicals just to get the right colours for our clothing. And a lot of those, because they're synthetic chemicals, they actually bioaccumulate. So they end up polluting our waterways and leaching into our oceans and stuff like that. So that's on the sort of water and chemical side. And then from an energy side of things, the fashion industry is actually responsible for up to 10% of global carbon emissions. Um, And that's because of the amount of production, but also because of the resources that are used. Yeah. Gosh. That's in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a nutshell. I know. I have so rarely think about the issue of dyeing material and that's such a big one because if you think about it like cotton for example which is a natural resource you I can picture it now it's those little white kind of soft buds of cotton and of course that it doesn't grow in purples and pinks and blues and greens like that's something that we have to alter it yeah, no, it doesn't. Although there are some GM crops now that are manipulated so that the cotton does grow a particular hue. Wow. So, um, yeah, it, it, it is sort of one thing that some people are trying to, to do so that we can reduce the amount of dyeing. But, yeah, the... The disconnect between um, that fluffy cotton wool, which it well cotton ball, which is on the plant, to getting it to our genes, yeah, is is just so laborious. Oh my god! And in terms of the energy, you spoke about it being ten percent. Did you say it was ten percent of yeah. the global emissions? Are you able to just tease that out a bit? Um, we're going to talk about supply chain transparency a little bit later on, but just tease out what kind of things are so energy intensive in a life cycle of making a garment? Yeah, so I suppose like it depends on what kind of fibre you're talking, you know, you talk about. But um, if we look at just the production of a raw material that uses a lot of energy, you know, to be able to, in the factories and stuff like that, to actually process it. But then also the logistics 
of transferring things. So a lot of like the average t-shirt actually travels like, you know, over 10,000 kilometers just to get to us because often, you know, the cotton will come from Africa, but then it will be processed in, you know, in India or China, and then it will be shipped to say America, and then somebody in Australia will buy that. So, you know, there is the logistics and the carbon miles, but then there's also, you know, the direct use of of fossil fuels to make the actual fiber as well. So that's in terms of our like synthetics and, you know, you know, polyester and, and stuff like that, where you're literally, yeah, using the fossil fuels directly. Yeah using the oil it's crazy to think that something like oil which we have this idea of like what we have on our kitchen bench at home but (laughs) that's olive oil (laughs) but like the the other kind of oil the fossil fuel oil it's crazy to think how that gets turned into items like polyester which is like our raincoats and shoes I know I think a lot of what's really wild for people is like when I say that you know like you're we're wearing plastic we're literally, we, we are wearing like fossil fuels. Like it's just the same. Um, you know, I think that plastic and single use plastic, especially has, you know, p- people understand now where it comes from and why it's bad. But I think that there's a huge disconnect still with, yeah, our, the raincoat that you're wearing and what that's actually made of and where. Yeah. I feel like polyester is something that comes up. It's a material that comes up a lot when we talk about sustainable fashion, because as you just said, it's plastic. There must be some pros to polyester though, or maybe there's not, you'll tell me otherwise, but are you able to kind of flesh out the pros and most likely more of the cons? And after that, I'd love to hear about your opinion on the trend of turning uh, like recycled plastic bottles and things like that into polyester materials, polyester items. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose like in terms of why it's so widely used and like for example just to put it into perspective there's about 60% of all textiles are made out of synthetics like polyester and nylon Um, and the reason why is because firstly it's so cheap but then also it's so versatile so that's why it's really effective it can have so many different properties so we can um, have it in our swimwear and it can you know retain its stretch we can uh, it will be water resistant so that we can you you know you can use it in your active wear or you can have it in your uh, like a a thermal because it's really good at um, retaining heat because it's not very breathable so there are because of its versatility and its cheapness I suppose that that is that's its strength and how widely available it is at the moment. It also, if you're thinking about like some of the pros from a sustainable perspective, it's a really tricky one because you know polyester doesn't really use much water in the process so compared to like cotton which is really water intensive during the process so that's probably like the only one if you're looking at like a life cycle analysis and comparing all of the different fibers but yeah it's like and if we're talking about the trend of going to a Um, recycled polyester I suppose that's because there is that dependency to have like there there is that want to have that versatility and all the properties of a synthetic and at the moment recycled polyester is sort of seen as that sort of slightly better alternative Mm. Um, but is it the answer no, it is not. <laughs> um, no, because essentially it is still plastic, you know, so we've still got an end of life problem. And what's that end of life problem? Well, you know, basically every plastic that has ever been created still exists. So it's really, it's really difficult. So we have like, I suppose, two major issues in terms of end of life with polyester is that although it can technically be recycled we have a huge lack of infrastructure with recycling so it's similar to so many other industries here we're producing so much stuff and yet we are not concentrating on what what the end of life is for those products so even though technically we can recycle it and there are small initiatives going on to be able to recycle our polyester clothing it's very limited and also the technology is also limited in terms of the quality of how it can be recycled so if it's chemically recycled there is a chance then that it can retain its quality but otherwise it can't be sort of like infinitely recycled so we have a waste problem which is essentially 
another plastic pollution problem. Yeah. And so that leads kind of into, I suppose, the second major issue with with it is the, the microplastic issue. So a lot of people are probably aware of the microplastic issue, but basically it's the tiny particles of plastic that when it's breaking down, comes out of our washing machine, it can come out of the landfill or discarded items, and it can go into our waterways again. So there's about, uh, in terms of the microplastic problem, 35% of microplastics found are made out of synthetics. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, another reason why the fashion industry is um, a really big polluter. Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose with recycled polyester, it is the lesser of two evils and it is a really good stepping stone. There is huge benefit in terms of recycling plastic bottles and diverting waste and reducing landfill, but we still have that end-of-life problem. So, yeah, like the future for me is like... We need to create something that is out of a renewable feedstock, like agro-waste, and turn that into a material that is biocompatible. So when it biodegrades, it doesn't hurt our ecosystem. So to me, that's like the holy grail, but um, we're really trying to sort of, like a lot of the work that I do at Piping Hot is really around working with scientists and how we can kind of work towards making fibres that that have those properties that I was just talking about. So by that, do you mean instead of using a fossil fuel, you're using a natural material that mimics the kind of polyester plastic properties within the garment and then at the end of life when we, if it ends up in landfill or hopefully it doesn't end up in landfill, it ends up in some sort of composting scenario and it'll just completely break down that's amazing I mean look yeah it it would be amazing it's a big ask but um look there are a few startups that are trying to develop these and it's really great because it's one of those things where you know you can use things like agro waste that uh, and you can sort of solve that waste problem and use it for another for you know another resource Um, like for example recently we've been working with a company called bloom and we're about to introduce at piping hot into the shoes this algae material ah seaweed (laughs) for the win (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly so i mean what is really exciting about that is like you know we we have like globally we have like an algae issue because of large-scale water pollution and um, warmer temperatures so you can harvest the algae which sequesters a lot of carbon and then you can clean the water and air and create a material. That's amazing. So, so when you're to, when you're introducing materials like that, then you're starting to talk about having a positive environmental impact as opposed to just reducing our environmental impact. And I suppose that's that to me is where it's really exciting. Mm. Yeah, it's almost it's regenerative. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing, and I suppose that's. One of the issues even I have with the word sustainable in terms of clothing and fashion, because I don't think that that really necessarily exists at the moment. You know, we can have clothing that reduces, that has a lesser impact. We can have clothing that can do good in terms of supporting livelihoods and communities. But in terms of having that that really sustainable, positive impact that doesn't go, go beyond its beyond the boundaries I suppose of of you know environmental limitations mm. it just doesn't um <laughs> doesn't really it's not possible not not much really exists out there they're like small pockets of examples and I think mm. you know the further the closer we get to closed loop circular model that will really help in terms of having a more regenerative model and having a more truly sustainable model but mm. yeah, yeah. It, it's not quite there yet and it'll move away from the, the, the necessity to be digging fossil fuels out of the yeah. earth, which is absolutely the opposite direction that we need to be going right now with the yeah. climate crisis. It's just, it blows my mind that it is still seen as industry standard to be able to use virgin synthetics when, you know, we now have the technology where you can recycle the synthetics and we should be doing that until we get the technology to be able to you know, be creating more biosynthetics. Do you think that responsibility should lie with <laughs> the corporation or the, the company, the brand that's making the material to kind of offer like a, a recycle system, you know, once the consumers decided like a buyback scheme of, of sorts? Or 
do you think that it's something that an individual, like we need to have more education for the individual buying the product in the first place? It definitely needs to be a thing that comes at all angles. So I believe that there needs to be responsibility taken at all levels. It is such a big task. So from an industry perspective and from a brand perspective, if we want to create a more uh, responsible supply chain and take more responsibility for the products that we're producing at the end of life, you know, we can implement take back schemes and we can try and do our best to sort of re-house or donate unwanted clothing and things like that. But as a, as a business alone, it's really hard to be able to invest in the infrastructure to be able to recycle everything. So that's where really we need like systemic change and we need that to be supported not only uh, in the broader industry, but then also with the governments. And because we have such a global supply chain, I think it also needs to be, you know, you, you need many partners and many stake, you know, many stakeholders involved to be able to help sort of like close that loop and reduce the waste. Mm. From a consumer perspective, we can definitely do our part, you know, like we're consuming so much more than we ever have. Um, I think it's something around 400% more than you know, 20 years ago, something around that. And we're using it, we're using clothing half the amount of time as we used to as well. So from a consumer point, we, we definitely have a responsibility to be more mindful of what we're consuming and then how we're disposing things. We have a huge textile waste problem. Like in Australia alone, we consume about 27 kg of textiles a year, each person. And then we also discard 23 kilos on average. So a lot of that is ending up in landfill or yeah, is it ending in landfill up in- because we, so, you know, obviously a lot is donated, but a lot of that is unwanted and poor quality. And we don't have in Australia at the moment, we, we just don't have that significant infrastructure we need to be able to, you know, to take responsibility of our own textile waste problem here. Yeah. Maybe it's a good time then to talk about the charities, to talk about charity stores. Do you think that they could kind of inadvertently be contributing to our consumeristic kind of cycle because they, you know, you feel like you're doing a good thing by sending, you know, your unwanted clothes to Vinnie's. Yeah. But then where do they actually end up? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit problematic because I do think that, you know, having the ability to donate our clothing to charities gives that mindset that, oh, okay, well, it doesn't matter how much I consume because I can just, when I don't want it, I can just give it to the charity stores. But yeah, what is happening is that all of the charity stores have this huge amount of excess clothing that is that they don't really have a need for but then also a a huge amount of clothing that is really poor quality so it's really hard to on sell so a lot of a lot of our clothes when we donate them they don't stay in Australia they end up going to other countries especially in Africa and all of these donations that have then gone offshore to yeah to different countries it's ended up creating this huge secondhand clothing industry for cheap clothing and has squashed the local clothing industry like the manufacturing industry there so yeah so essentially we're just sort of passing the buck in terms of you know passing on our poor quality clothing you know to make it somebody another country's problem which is Yeah, not great. <laughs> not great. No. So, other than donating to charity stores or, you know, having a garage sale of your own or using platforms like Depop, which I've recently fallen in love with, how can we recycle our old clothes? It's a tricky one. I, I do think that all of the suggestions that you have made are probably the best ones. There are a few places that will turn your clothing waste into rags or, you know, for a secondary purpose um, in industry and stuff like that. But really, I think, yeah, besides, you know, extending the life of your clothing, doing mending, swapping with your friends, etc. I think it's also about just trying to reduce the amount that you're consuming, like going back to that, it's sort of 
you know, do I really need this? How long will I wear it? Like, is it really versatile? Is it going to stand the test of time in terms of style versus trend? So I feel like those those are sort of the more practical things that you can do because we we don't really have a solution here yet. Mm. Well, not just for the fashion industry, but for all industries. I feel like we pass the buck a lot with our recycling just in general, don't we, Australia? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that is one, one very small positive out of COVID is that it does seem like the government and communities are starting to realise that we can't sort of rely on, you know, everything being produced or done elsewhere. We need to take more responsible and be a, bit, a little bit more self-sufficient as a country. Yeah. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to take a moment to give thanks to the incredible people supporting this season of The Pod. Camp Cove Swim, For Purpose Recycling, and Spooked Kooks Surfboards. All three brands are committed to producing quality items that leave a positive impact on the environment. Listen through to the end of this app to hear how to go in the running for one of two prize pack giveaways. So we hear a lot of talk about natural fibres, natural materials. What are some of the natural fibres that we might find? How can we tell if they're legit? And what are the environmental benefits of these? Well, I suppose I'd start by saying that I'd probably prefer to use like more natural fibers <laughs> uh, as okay. opposed to being purely natural because, you know, like I was talking about before, like the process or even if you start with a natural fiber, once it's dyed and, and stuff like that, you know, you are sort of coating it in chemicals. So maybe it's not that natural after all, but um, yeah, natural is a very nuanced term. Like I feel like with the rise of sustainable fashion and there being no real global standard or rating for materials, it's really up to the brand to define what they deem as being natural or sustainable. And so that means that there can be a lot of variance. So like for me, I feel that in terms of looking for natural fibres, my own definition is something that has a lesser impact than a conventional fibre. So something that is uh, cellulose-based but is also organic or also certified or um, made in a closed-loop system. So it's done in a in a more natural and less invasive way and it also has that sort of tick of approval by being organic or you know a standard like a certification that means that it hasn't been as processed with um, harmful chemicals as others mm. so yeah I find it's really quite difficult for the average consumer as well to navigate that there's a lot of stuff about you know cotton being natural but depending on what kind of cotton it is it's not so natural so I kind of really recommend to people it's just like ask questions is it organic is it certified is it recycled? Those kind of key words are the things that, you, you know, and, and key things are the ones that you've got to look out for. Yeah. And so some of the common natural, natural materials that we hear about are like wool, cotton, linen, hemp. Are there any others that are kind of mainstream? I feel like sometimes people think that viscose is natural because it's made out of trees, like wool pulp. Oh, okay. But it's not? Well, the process is actually ends up being quite similar to making a synthetic because even though it comes from wood pulp, turning wood into something soft and silky like a, like a viscose fabric is really chemical intensive. Mm. Yeah, but I think that, you know, those cellulose fibres that you just mentioned, they're sort of the ones that you see as being seen as natural and yes they are derived from a plant but depending on whether they're organic or recycled or you know how they've been processed they can be quite um, chemical intensive and there is the possibility so it's not that to say that every you know every pair of jeans have those chemicals attached when you dye them because you can dye with other natural things right it's not that everything that's dyed is chemical no, I mean, most are, but what is really exciting is that there's so many great independent brands out there that are actually, you know, taking responsibility of that process and reclaiming, you know, the use of botanical dyes that are, you know, made out of, you know, plants and flowers and using a lot more traditional techniques. So on that side of things, it's really exciting because it's going, 
yeah, we're kind of going back to our origins in terms of dyeing things in a much simpler way and making sure that the customer is aware that, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it won't be as color fast as say a synthetic dye, but that's okay. Cause you know, it will naturally fade and, and that's a nice look. So Mm. yeah there's some great stuff and there's also a lot of like not all synthetic chemicals are necessarily bad especially if they've been treated responsibly like if you've got a closed loop dye house where they're treating the effluent and the water then that's not necessarily having a negative impact you know there's a lot more standards that are starting to come out now in terms of the types of chemicals so that you're using the less bad ones so it seems like it's kind of a cost thing. Is that how we've ended up in this place of yeah. synthetic? Cost con- and convenience um, and time. You know, we're, we're choosing, it's like every industry, you know, it's about picking what is most efficient and what is most profitable, not necessarily what is the best way to do things or the most mindful way of doing things. Mm. But we're definitely seeing a change. You know, you've got people like Levi's and stuff like that that are really embracing waterless dyeing. So that's completely removing the need to use water in that part of the process. And we've got like people like Icebreaker, they've recently launched a plant dyed tea range and it's made out of regenerated, uh, sorry, regenerative wool. <laughs> so basically it, it means that it's having a much more positive impact and it can actually biodegrade really well. Yeah. We've talked about kind of the positives of natural fibers if they're done chemical free what are some of the lesser known impacts you've kind of touched on cotton being very resource intensive are there any other lesser known impacts yeah sorry I feel like I've been a real negative Nancy I was like no there are some really good things about the fashion industry (laughs) and where we're heading um but yeah I mean I think for cotton and stuff like that like you know it is one of those fibers that is really labeled as being natural and you know it it's not that it's just not that natural anymore you know with anything that is large scale and industrialized you know there ends up being some downsides to it so like you know just to put it into perspective into how impactful cotton is it just the crop covers 2.4 percent of the world's cultivated land oh my gosh amount and then on top of that it uses six percent of the world's pesticides and 16 percent of the world's insecticides so it's more than any single um, major crop so cotton alone is is responsible for one of the largest man-made environmental disasters in the world which is reducing the aral sea to only 20 percent of its original state um, and that's due to cotton irrigation oh what is that the alc uh, the aral sea yeah oh the aral sea yeah, whereabouts is that in, in central um in central asia um, and that's it's because it sort of surrounds huge cotton farming areas. But yeah, there's a lot of issues with cotton. And it's also like, because it is so water intensive, like, for example, it takes like 2,700 litres of water to make just a T-shirt. And denim is basically just a thicker version of cotton. So if that's for a T-shirt, I can't even imagine what a pair of jeans would be. Yeah, yeah. So you think I think it um it's a sort of like ten thousand liters for um per kilo, roughly. So give or take, it depends on where you're producing it. Uh where so where you where you're cultivating it. So, you know, China, India and Africa are the predominant areas and uh yeah, there are variances on, you know, whether it's more rain fed, et cetera. But yeah, like you're looking mm. at seven to ten thousand liters of water and largely irrigated. Oh my gosh. Um, It seems like we kind of have this funny situation where we have excess secondhand clothes that are causing problems in many countries around the world. And then this kind of impact of producing new stuff. Like if everyone just bought secondhand, would that solve the ultimate kind of, would that make the biggest impact? Yeah. I mean, I think that that would be, that would definitely make a huge dent. I mean, I often say it's like, you know, the most sustainable thing we could do is not probably produce clothing. But, you know, we need to be realistic. Like, you know, even me, I, you know, like I have a small child who's growing at a rapid rate. And, you know, even though I scour the secondhand shops, like it's sometimes not feasible for me to find like you know his shoes or clothes in in that size for that particular season and uh, you know for for a winter or you know something mm. warm etc so like 
we do need to be realistic about we won't ever stop consuming. But I think that if we can rely more on what we already have and really reuse reuse our clothing and extend the life of them, then yeah, we can we could definitely take a huge amount of pressure off our environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of clothing swaps. I think yeah. they're just yeah. so great. Like getting some friends together and swapping your clothes because often it's like it's not you know, I'm a huge secondhand shopper and I also have been kind of wearing the same clothes for like the past 15 years. That's also what goes around with quality as well. You know, like I think that, you know, clothing swaps and stuff like that, I think that, you know, they're on the rise and we need to keep doing it, but it's going to be harder and harder if we continue to, you know, shop and support fast fashion and cheaper clothing and stuff because the quality is just not there. And so they're not as long lasting. So it's it, it can be a bit difficult. And like I even remember that with like, I noticed that when um because you know I'm an I was secondhand shopper as well and like you know when I was a teenager and stuff like going into op shops I'd be able to find such higher quality items and now you go in and everything's sort of like a cotton poly blend which means that it's sort of all pilled and it's you know it's sort of it's already um you know a bit terrible disintegrating yeah and it's just sort of it's a real shame because you know clothing clothing used to you know go even be passed down generations and generations and now a huge part of the population would say well I'm not going to keep all these things in my wardrobe for longer than you know a few weeks or months or this season yeah well with all of this in mind (laughs) my next question was what's the best option when looking for new clothes um is it secondhand yeah, I look, I definitely think secondhand is probably the first and foremost easiest thing that you can do to reduce your impact. And then, you know, if you do need to buy something, I think it's about even, you know, thinking about that, do I need it or do I want it? And just asking those sort of simple questions, you know, if you if you're looking to buy new because you can't find it secondhand, then, you know, ask ask who made it, how is it made, what is it made out of, will I really wear it, you know, can I wear it more than 30 times, I think that's, that's a really good rule that a lot of people in um, the sustainable fashion community sort of think is, you know, that, that is a good amount, and then, you know, yeah, in terms of, like, what's it made out of, like, really try and prioritize buying something that's not a blend, so that if it can be recycled, it's going to be recycled more easily. So when I'm talking about a blend, that means like try and avoid the cotton polys, you know, the cotton and polyester blends. If you can just sort of get something that's only cotton or, you know, if you really want to get that that workout gear, you know, try and opt for the recycled polyester option or the recycled nylon option or even um, there's some great organic cotton or merino options as well. Mm. So yeah, it's just it's just that like it's about thinking and asking questions and just slowing down. Yeah, slowing down and thinking, which is not something that I feel like our society really is putting at the forefront. It's like quick, 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 small, like you know, like consumer gratification. (laughs) Instant gratification. You can buy this online today and it'll arrive at your doorstep 5 p.m. Yeah, exactly. And stay on trend, whatever you do. Yeah, it's um I think that that's another thing that we really fight with in the fashion industry is it is uh such a cycle, you know, and trying to sort of like get into buying more seasonless that will sort of also stand the test of time from like an aesthetic point of view. I I feel like personally for me appreciating seasonless clothing has come with an older age. Mm. Like at, at 15, you're not thinking about like investing in a nice pair of boots that will last you 20 years you're just thinking yeah. about you know being cool and like having the latest jacket or the latest pants yeah I think that um there's a lot of society pressures as well as to what is deemed as being appropriate and how you should you should look in a particular way um you know for your profession or you know yeah the community that you're in so yeah mm. there's a lot of stuff that is really tied into your identity as well with clothing so I think that's why you've got to be realistic people will continue to consume but but um doing it in a more mindful way yeah you've kind of touched just briefly before on kind of supply chain 
transparency. For some reason, I find that hard to say. Supply chain transparency. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is something that you deal with a lot in your work, like kind of teasing out supply chain transparency for various um, companies and brands. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us what that is and why it's important for sustainable fashion? Yeah. So I suppose um, when we're talking about supply chain transparency I'll unpack what we're talking about in terms of supply chain first so um, when we're talking about the fashion supply chain we're talking about all of the different touch points in the process of making some clothes so we're talking about the raw material and you know the farmers cultivating the uh, the raw material like the cotton or the wool um, or the linen, etc., And then going through the process of going to a yarn mill, going to a fabric mill, getting dyed, going to the dye house, getting printed at the print house. And then um, the CMT, like the cut make sew, so the garment factory, and then the logistics in the warehouse right to your the retail store or the, you know, to the brand. So that's what a supply chain is sort of basically and they're sort of broken into tier one tier two tier three tier fours but I won't go into that part but basically yeah so there's many hands and many suppliers uh in a in a fashion supply chain and that's why it's so complex it can it can cross countries it can cross the world and so because of that it means that it can be quite hard to track and trace actually where did, where does this piece of clothing come from who is who is producing it across the line so that's where transparency comes in and transparency is so important like I kind of like to say that it's like the first step towards sustainability because without transparency and traceability you don't have accountability so if you don't know where it's coming from or who is making it you don't know under what circumstances and what exactly it is so that's why transparency is so important I actually find it is probably one of those things that if the fashion industry steps up and it, and it is starting to in being uh, fully transparent we can kind of avoid a lot of a lot of the labor issues that we have um, in terms of exploitation of workers um, we can also save a lot of issues in terms of the integrity of um, what a fiber is or what kind of process you are using to be able to dye the fabric and stuff because it, it's it's there to show so brands need to then be accountable if there's visibility you know what you're working against or for is would shortening the supply chain help yeah definitely but I suppose you know it's it's always been long traditionally because um, people are getting fibers and stuff like that from different merchants and stuff. Um, there are vertically integrated factories, which means that basically you can have like the the fabric made and dyed and and sewn all in the one place, and that really helps. But People are very specialised. So, you know, even though we're talking about fashion industry broadly, you know, within that, there are many different industries. And within those industries, there are specialists for all of those different types of fibres or all those different types of processes. So, yeah, shortening it is great. And I think a lot of people try and do that. And that's a really great way to be able to stay on top of it. But, yeah, it's, it's just one aspect. What about a circular economy? How could that fit? Because you touched on like closing the loop. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Let's close that loop and all of our problems will be gone. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's the kind of thing that gets thrown around a lot. And um, yeah. maybe a lot of the people who are listening into this pod might not really can't, you know, put that as like a tangible thing. Like, what do you mean when you say close the loop? And what, what do people mean when they say, a you know, a circular, a circular economy? Well, um, it's sort of, it's similar, basically, the, the idea of a circular economy crosses all industries. Essentially, it's sort of in relation to um, the current model that we have is a linear model. So essentially, if you imagine a line being the start is sort of where something has started to be made. And then at the end of the line is, you know, the product being discarded. 
So we're starting to get more into a, I suppose, like a recycling economy where we are starting to, I suppose, start turning that line into more of a curve and rounding it over. So we're starting to um, have, you know, second life for, for some products. But what a circular economy means is that you're essentially feeding back into, you're, you're turning that into a whole circle, that line into a circle. So you're closing the loop. That's <laughs> why I'm talking, I always refer to closing the loop is because it's like you're going, okay, well, this, this product is going to be made, but then once it's been finished with, it can actually be turned into something else. And then that can be used and then that can be turned into something else and so when we're talking about a circular economy one of the huge benefits of that is that we can stop relying on on new resources and actually utilizes the products themselves to be able to create more products or you know to be able to make it into like it doesn't necessarily need to be made into the same product um, it can be upcycled or downcycled but ideally you want to sort of get into this model that is yeah shaping the way that we use it so like cradle to cradle essentially that's where we need to get to because um it's just you know it means that we can be regenerating products and not having to have that waste problem and just having value it means that nothing loses value mm, that's such a big thing with recycling mm. the the keeping the value and also such a big thing mentally with how we view items yeah and seeing their value mm. even at their end of life yeah, we sort of, re we really do have this mentality that it's sort of like, oh, once something is used, it's sort of has no purpose or value, you know, whereas we should actually be looking at, at use things as a really useful resource to turn into something else. And speaking of the, what you mentioned earlier about those machines that are going to, you know, hopefully with time, once they get more advanced and more money and more research uh, that will recycle our materials. Is the, you mentioned that try, trying to go for just one type of material is better than the blends. Is that because it's harder to recycle something when there's two? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have a massive issue because majority of clothing produced these days are a blend. Um, so that's you know, generally because of the properties, you know, like wanting it to be like a cotton item to be stretchy. So then, you know, you'll put elastane or polyester or something in it. But the problem with that is because they're both not a cellulose base, that end use is really limited if you want to recycle it because they, the two different fibers that you're blending don't have the same properties. So we have a, yes. Yeah, so the recycling of a cotton poly is really problematic and we're kind of we can't really use it for traditional purposes. So like with recycling cotton, that's obviously really absorbent. So often used for like rags um, and stuff like that, or it could be used for insulation and things, but with a blend, it's much harder. So if you, if you prioritize non-blended, it just means that the recyclability is much easier. There are some examples of using a chemical or enzyme eating process where you can actually separate those two blended fibers and and recycle it like there's actually a company here in Australia Blocktex who are starting to do that and they do it in a similar way I'm, I'm gonna get it wrong and if they hear me they'll probably be appalled at me <laughs> describing it in this way but like I have such limited knowledge of it but it's sort of like um sort of fermenting it down and you know similar to oh. how you would like in a brewery or something like that to you know change the enzymes and then turn those the you know the polyester into chips that can be reused and then the cellulose, cellulose, so the cotton side into like a cellulose powder that can be reused. So there oh are God. some some models starting to happen and some great innovations. It's just getting it to a point where we can scale it so we can start resolving the issue of our 27 kg per person a year thing. <laughs> it's so scientific hearing you talk about that, like breaking it down with en enzymes and 
you know, like. Oh yeah, I mean, and I'm not. A, I'm definitely not a scientist. Sorry. No, no, no. I know, but just. But I mean, it makes it really hard because we're trying to find a solution, and yet we need to have so many people in the room with so many different skill sets and so much knowledge to be able to find a solution. Yeah. But, yeah. Do we need the government to to really, you know, in a perfect world, we would be hitting it from all sides, as you said earlier. Yeah. But does the government need to play? a part in this as well like with implementing policy and really putting potentially some funding into this technology yeah definitely um and i mean the australian government has put out some investment into um into recycling but yeah it is really about doing that a bit more um prioritizing it and also starting to change the way we look at the responsibilities for brands or products that are being imported etc so yeah if the, the government has a huge part to play in changing the mindset and the obligations of, of companies that are actually producing clothing so yeah mm. there, there's a lot we have a, a long way to go but it, it is starting to happen like look it's literally um only a few weeks ago was this um textile waste roundtable happening so which is great yeah i feel like the conversation surrounding sustainable fashion is much more prominent now than it ever was yeah. even 10 years ago when i was in my early 20s yeah which is great yeah yeah it's huge like I feel like when I started doing this we were sort of like you know banging on people's doors and having to be quite like anarchic and uh, about it trying to get people to take notice and now you know all the big retailers and manufacturers and and stuff are realizing that actually you know we need to do it and like whether they're doing it for the the right reasons because they want to reduce the environmental impact or whether they're doing it for risk mitigation you know what? I don't really mind, but yeah, we get to the same endpoint, and as long as the goal is the same, how how does the Australian industry stack up in terms of sustainability? Are we leading the charge globally? <laughs> I think sometimes we are, and then sometimes another country starts leading the charge. It kind of it kind of comes in waves. Um, we used to be really behind, like um, when I was living in London over a decade ago now, there was a huge movement and a lot of industry collaboration, which was super exciting. So you're getting a lot of brands doing good things in the sustainable sector. And I think Australia has sort of started to really catch up because we do have we do we do we are very connected to our environment here more so than um, many other uh you know countries like the uk europe etc so i think that um the environmental movement has sort of been quite Im important in australia and so it's filtered into our different industries so yeah i think i think at we are probably up there you know especially recently because a lot of the larger companies the fashion companies here in australia are now taking part i mean actually to answer you more simply really i think australia has always been quite progressive with our independent and small brands we've always been really pushing the boundaries and up to the challenge um, because we are a little bit more isolated from the world so we've had to kind of do our own thing but in terms of the bigger companies we've been really slow to move compared to the rest of the world so mm. the UK Scandinavia even you know people in the US and stuff like that the bigger companies have been talking about it for a lot longer than we have it's yeah it's only really been recently that that we're seeing it sort of infiltrate beyond just the fringes of the fashion industry here oh there's some amazing smaller niche brands in Australia that are just doing the most incredible stuff it's really exciting and it's really positive and I think that it kind of shows as well like with the growth of this um the sustainability sector is that you know is because customers want it as well and so we we need to listen and and we need to grow this sector even more other than the environmental cost of producing garments which we've discussed what are the human costs well, the fashion, the fashion industry has like a really bad rap in terms of, you know, people understand that, you know, we have a huge problem in labor exploitation. You know, some of the most vulnerable people on the planet work in the garment industry. One in six people in the world work in a job that is related to the fashion industry. So that means, you know, like that's also including careers in logistics and farmers and stuff like that. But you know, a huge portion of the world is impacted by the fashion industry in terms of like their jobs and roles. And only, I think there's only about six, 
percent are, are paid a living wage. Wow. Yeah, I could be wrong. It could be three, but I'm pretty sure it's six. Anyway, yeah. So basically, if we're talking about just from a wage perspective and giving people, you know, the ability to live their life and pay their basic costs as opposed to uh, as uh, in terms of like, you know, their the rent, food, health and stuff like that, we have a massive issue. You know, this is a huge human rights problem just in terms of wages but then also it's the conditions that people are in so a lot of people are really familiar in terms of like um, the labor issues that the fashion industry is responsible for but what we also need to dive into a bit deeper is actually what the human health costs are with the Mm. fashion industry so all of these things that I've been telling you about in terms of, you know, the chemicals that we're using and the processes that we use to create fashion have an effect on the people that are doing it. So, you know, those people that are working in the dye houses with those synthetic chemicals that are known carcinogens and known endocrines, um, you know, like hormone disruptors and stuff like that. And then you've got the people that don't even work in the dye house, but they live downstream. Mm. and they're using that that water that has been polluted as their drinking water. They're using it to feed their crops. Uh, so we've really got this huge interconnected problem, I suppose. You know, it's the perfect storm, um, a, you know, in terms of the impact that we're having on, on humans as well as the environment. I think a lot of the time, you know, in society, especially, you know, in Australia and, you know, in developed countries is that we have this disconnect that we don't rely on the environment for, uh, you know, to live. And it's like, well, we're so connected. If we're, yeah, we're trashing the environment, but we're also, you know, we're also really impacting our health, you know, and, you know, you can go down, there's some really terrible stats about uh, using pesticides and the poisoning of, you know, pesticide poisoning is, is really terrible. And yeah, all of the synthetic dyes, it's, yeah, it's, it's an ugly side of the fashion industry that we don't really think of. Uh, Garment workers, are really you know exploited um and that's terrible but a lot of people don't know about all of those other people in the broader community as well that are being affected by by the fashion industry and our irresponsible practices people just don't realize that the environmental cost is also a human cost that was kelly elkin thank you kelly uh and thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the nature between us if you have any comments or questions i'd love to hear from you via the website www.thenaturebetweenus.com and of course if you would like to go in the running to win a spooked kooks soft top surfboard a 250 dollars camp cove gift voucher and an fpr belt all you have to do is subscribe to the pod via Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review with your real name so I can find you and then follow all four of the Insta accounts. So that's The Nature Between Us podcast, FPR, Camp Cove and Spooked Cooks. And I will pick a winner towards the end of season two. Ciao for now.